Welcome to this Edge Church podcast. We are a people whose mission is to know Christ, be the church, and serve our community. We pray you are blessed and equipped by this message. I want to um, take some time to unpack the Word this morning. And I guess the theme uh, underneath all of this is it's a theme about Lordship and it's a theme about surrender. And I have to say um, that this year for me um, personally has been an incredible journey of surrender and Lordship just to, to a, greater, a greater degree, just a greater awareness of that surrender. As people of faith for each and every one of us, our entire lives are an ongoing journey of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. One of the major works of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer is to bring us to Lordship. Scripture says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And that's not just about whether or not they can say that phrase, it's whether or not that work is going on in their hearts. So for every believer to come under the Lordship, you know that's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So today I wanna speak into that theme a little bit, that theme of of Lordship. Today, I wanna talk around the topic of the Lord of two tables. The Lord of two tables. Are you ready for the Word this morning? Father, as we come around Your Word, we pray that You administer to our word, we don't take it for granted. What a, what a privilege it is, what a blessing it is to come under the authority of your word. So speak through it today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna be in John chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible as a gift, be our privilege because we believe it's the word of God and that the Bible, the, the word, it can transform your life. And so see any of our team after the meeting, we'd love to give you a Bible. The words will be on the screen. John chapter two, verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to Him, they have no more wine. Now, I'm not sure what tone Jesus took in this next statement, but He said, woman, (laughs) why do you... Involve me. At that point, Mary reaches out for the wooden spoons and talk to me like that one more time, you know. And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests are pickled. Sorry, no, they didn't say that's the message version. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which He revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. 
After this, everyone say after this. After this, he went down to Capernaum and with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, others sitting at tables exchanging money. So, so he made, this doesn't sound like gentle Jesus, does it? He, he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples, I guess this is later down the track, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Amen. He is the Lord of two tables. Jesus is the Lord of two tables. The first table we see is a wedding table. And in that story, Jesus comes in and he's like incognito. Jesus comes in like he's the undercover boss, really. You know, he's a bit of a wedding crasher. This is the early stages of the ministry of Jesus, right? This is John chapter two. Some commentators say he hasn't even chosen all of his 12 disciples yet. He's just, he's just starting out. And so this is the very beginnings. This is Jesus, the wannabe rabbi. Remember, he's the carpenter's son. He's the tradie. He's not the academic. He's a he's a Trady rabbi, he's so unusual. And here he is with his sort of initial stages team. It's like his, his little BC boy band, you know, his Eshes and the Adidas tracksuits. And, you know, he's got his gang together and there they are. They've showed up at the wedding and they're completely under the radar. No one's talking about the wonders of Jesus' teaching or his miracles. This is so early. This is the first sign that anyone has ever seen that he was more than just the carpenter's son. So this wedding table speaks about how when Jesus shows up in our life, He fills the table. He fills our table with joy and gladness and contentment and wonder. He he has a way of filling up our wedding table. But after this, you see, John uses that as like a literary device that links these two stories. After, after this, he says, we see another table. We see temple tables. And these are the tables that are set up in what he calls his father's house. And so he takes ownership of the house of God, doesn't he? He said, because if it's his father's house, he's the son, and this is his house. And when he comes in and he sees these tables, he's gonna do something about it. He acts differently because in that story, he sees all the buying and the selling and he sees the sheep and the cattle and the clamour. He sees the distraction from pure worship and prayer and Jesus begins to flip some tables. He turns some tables. He rearranges the furniture in the house of God. And John puts these two stories together because in John's mind, this is not two different stories about two different things. This is two different ways of expressing the same thing. He is the Lord and He is the Lord of two tables and He is the Lord of both of those things that are going on in people's lives. And and, and isn't it amazing? The contrast is so powerful because one is just like, Everyone's celebrating what Jesus is doing. Of course they are. This is, this is fantastic. You think of the contrast here. You think of how Jesus comes. Imagine if you, you go to a party and this guy fills up the bathtub with water and shazam, it's Shiraz. 
right? Everyone says, yay, who invited this guy? He's the party maker. But in the next, next scene, he's gone and he's made a whip and he's turning tables over and people are saying, boo, he's the party pooper. Who invited him along? He's the party maker. He's the party pooper. They all have a different view of, of what Jesus is doing, but He is doing the same thing. He is doing a work of Lordship. And sometimes His Lordship fills our table with joy and gladness and wonder and restoration. And sometimes He rearranges the furniture. He makes some changes. He brings conviction. He brings transformation. WWJD. What would Jesus do? And isn't it true that we all have a different view of that? What would Jesus do? I always find it funny to think that, remember those what would Jesus do bracelets? They were huge, they were a huge craze. And, and uh, statistically, they were the most stolen items from Christian bookshops. Now I'm no ethics professor, but I don't think that's what Jesus would do, right? What would Jesus do? But isn't that funny? Because we all have an idea of our own personal Jesus. What would Jesus do? Oh, my Jesus, my truth. My truth about Jesus, I'm sure Jesus would do. And we create, we create God in our own image, don't we? <laughs> what would Jesus do? Because we like to think, oh, surely Jesus is gentle and mild and He's kind and, you know. Well, apparently, what would Jesus do? Well, apparently, He would do things we might not expect Him to do. What would Jesus do? I don't know, make wine or make a whip. That's not what we would expect. If you picked your kids up from kids, from kids' church today and they were having craft day, I think there would be some surprises if they came home with a wine bottle and a whip. And they said, WWJD, Mum, wine and whip. Hey, that sounds like a good name for a Christian cafe, wine and whip. I don't know. It's a bit confusing, <laughs> countercultural. Wine and whip? What kind of Jesus is that? I don't know, Bible kind? Maybe the fact that He's Lord means that He may do things that we don't expect Him to do. He may just have a perspective that we don't have. And in this story, we see this contrast of two tables. In the wedding feast, we see Jesus, look at the contrast. He's, he's acting quietly and hidden and privately. And don't you know He does that in our life? I love that about Jesus, the private work in my life. But in the temple, you have him acting very publicly and dramatically and everyone knows about it and there's no hiding it. At the wedding, he's adding and he's bringing, he's pouring joy back into your life. At the temple, it appears initially like he's subtracting, like he's getting the clutter out of your life. At the wedding, he, he was asked to act. Did you see that? It was like a prayer. Jesus, do something here. He was invited, but at the temple, it's all his initiative. No one asked him to do that. <laughs> no one was praying for that. That was a divine intervention. That was Jesus asserting his lordship. At the wedding, he brings joy, gladness, probably laughter, celebration. At the temple, he brings conviction, change, repentance, transformation. They seem like two different stories, but they're really about one thing. He's the Lord of two tables. And why is that important for us? Well, because when Jesus comes into your life, He will fill your table with a feast. You need to hear this today. When Jesus comes into your life, 
He brings joy. He brings peace. He brings contentment. He brings purpose. He fills that table. But He also has a way of rearranging the furniture and bringing transformation. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. So when He comes into our life, it's about Lordship and the Holy Spirit brings us to Lordship and surrender. And as people of faith, we learn that our surrender to His Lordship brings freedom and life and wonder. Amen. These are two tables about His Lordship. So let's look at Lordship for a second about the, in, in these two tables. Well, firstly, at the wedding table, let's look at Lordship here. They say, we've got a problem. We've run out. We're run out, we've run out, we're empty. There's no more wine and Mary goes to Jesus and she says, we've run out. You need to do something about it. At that point, Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? And you know, and here's the thing, you know, Mary could have reacted. She could have got angry. She could have got demanding and cantankerous. She could have said, I brought you into this world, baby Jesus. I will take you out. You will go and down the thirsty camel, get me some wine, right? <laughs> Whatever she's doing, I don't know. You know, she's going, she could have reacted. Because at first, Jesus doesn't seem very compliant. And in a way, it's, it's in, in a way saying, Mary, you know, you don't, you don't control me. You don't have me on speed dial. You are not Lord of me. And my hour has not yet come. And that's, that's another literary device in the book of John that when he says, talks about the hour of Christ, he's talking about the events of the cross. The book of John is actually two books theologically. It's called, it's the book of signs, which is John chapter one through to John chapter 12. And it's, it's the book of glory, John chapter 13 through to John chapter 21. The book of signs, because John's um, gospel is all about the 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 deity and the divinity of Jesus. That is the word that became flesh that dwelt among us. And, and there are so many signs that point to, to who He is as the Messiah. And, and this is the first sign. But the second half of the book is, is really just about the cross. The book of glory is about His hour, the hour that He came for. The, that, that his, the power of the cross, the finished work of the cross that would reconcile man to a holy God. And he's talking about his hour. And so he's saying, hey, my hour has not yet come. And so he's got a bigger plan. His Lordship is bigger than what Mary's asking for. Yet Mary doesn't react. Mary responds. You know how she responds? She says, well, do whatever he says. And that's Mary's way of saying, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't actually know what he's going to do. I seriously do not think she is thinking that he's going to gather his disciples and go down to Thirsty Camel and sort it out in human ways. She just says, I can trust his word. I trust that he is the word that became flesh and you could trust what he has to say. And she hands it all over to Lordship. She, she surrenders to Lordship and she says, do whatever his word says for you to do. And, and of all people, she knows who Jesus is. Of all people, she is the one, the Magnificent. She is the one who encountered the angel, who received the word that you shall carry a child, the Saviour. His name will be Jesus because He will save from sin. This Christmas, that's what we're gonna remember. We're gonna remember that powerful moment. And how did she respond there? She responded there by surrendering to Lordship and saying, let it be to me according to your word. 
So she's got a little bit of a history in trusting the Word of God and in trusting Lordship. And so can we. We can trust Lordship. We can surrender to the Word. When we don't have clarity, we can trust His sovereignty and we can surrender our lives to the Word. I don't know how, I don't know what, but I know His Word can be trusted. Do whatever He says for you to do. It's an act of Lordship. And what happens in that surrender? Well, in that surrender, He turns water into wine. Lordship turns water into wine. Now, I I need to highlight something. This isn't a hobby horse scripture for alcoholism. Just a little side note. There's plenty of scriptures that warn against the destruction of alcohol and addiction. So so we're not using this as as a backup for dysfunction. But wine biblically is a symbol of joy. It is a symbol of the intoxication of life. And when we've run out, When we've run out of joy and we've run out of peace, we've run out of purpose and we've run out of gladness, when there's no more joy, no more intoxication for life, we can run into Lordship. We can go to the God that fills our life afresh, the One who turns our weak as water into something rich like wine. Lordship can do that. What do we do when we run out? Well, according to John chapter two, if you've run out, you can run in. According to John chapter two, if, you, if you're here today and you feel like, man, there's areas of my life I've run out. I've run out emotionally. I've run out physically. I've run out relationally. I've run out of purpose. What do you do? Well, according to John chapter two, this is kind of like a side, side, side message for those playing at home. Well, firstly, make sure Jesus is in the house. Make sure, you, make sure you're a person of the presence of Jesus, that Jesus is in your world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. You've got a place to run to. Don't run from God, run to, but I've run out. Run to God, run to Jesus, let Him love you. Secondly, go to Jesus in specific prayer. It's a specific problem that leads to a specific prayer. And those specific prayers are answered. They've run out. Jesus, is this something you can do in my life? She knows where to go in prayer. Number three, do whatever He tells you. The Word of God, the Word that speaks the Word, the Word that became flesh, that imparts the Word, come under the Word of God and allow the Word of God to take root in your life and give you direction. Number four, step it out in ordinary ways. You know, when they received the Word, they had to walk on the Word, amen? He said, oh, fill up those jars. Take those six jars, fill them to the brim. Now, take some out, take it to the mark. Can you see how much Word is going on there? But they had to walk out with the Word, step it out in ordinary ways. Live with godly expectation. Live with godly expectation. The wine taster, the master of the ceremony, the, the, the independent expert has a little sip and says, whoa, you have saved the best till, till last. We, we are called to be people who live with a godly expectation that Jesus is gonna turn it all around for His good, amen? We gotta, I've been, one of the, one of the Scriptures that's, that's gripped my heart lately is from Psalm 27. And it says, I would have lost heart. I would have fainted if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. 
And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but we've got to have such a, a conviction in the Word that we believe that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that the best is yet to come for the people of God, that He's saving the best till last. And number, five, number six, taste and see that the Lord is good. See what God can do when He turns our water into wine. When you've run out, run in to the Lordship of Jesus. And let me declare by the Spirit of God, over Edge Church by faith that God is saving the best till last. Amen. That the, the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. That this house is a house of miracles, a house of healing. This house is a house of restoration. Come on, the better days of this church are ahead of us, not behind us. God is saving the best till now. Amen. Come on, this house is a miracle around a throne. This house was established. I mean, there was 50 people at O'Halloran Hill and there has been such an incredible work of God that we have to recognise that that is a work of Lordship. A throne built this house. It wasn't a man, it wasn't a program, it wasn't a building, it was the Lordship of Jesus. So we can declare that the best is ahead of us. Amen. You have saved the best to last. We live with godly expectation. Yet John says after this, there's another table of lordship. It's the temple tables. And this lordship issue is even more clear. There's clutter, there's distraction, there's buying and selling, there's animals everywhere, there's, a, there's, there's, there's all kinds of communication going on. It's not God communication. It's like you're haggling for a deal. Like, what is this? And Jesus comes in and, and something happens. Zeal for your house consumes me. It means eats me up like a, he's, it's eating me up. And I find it amazing the fact that he went away. This isn't like, he didn't fly off the handle. This isn't some emotional response. <laughs> this is premeditated lordship. Like he went away and made a whip called his disciples, you know, this is the creation. This is Jesus. He is the firstborn of all creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It, like, this is Jesus. If anyone knows how to make a whip, Jesus is in the business. And yet, you know, I, I got to highlight something here. In the original language, it says he made a whip out of what, what would be called rushes. Um, in the original languages, it would be reeds, these reeds. And so these reeds, what they would do is they would strip these reeds and, and that would be the kind of thing that they would then weave baskets with. You know, it, it's more akin to, um, you know, it'd be more akin to papyrus, you know, it's heading in that direction. And so, and the reason why I want to highlight that is that this isn't Jesus flying off the handle and this isn't Jesus coming to harm people and hurt people. Uh, let me put it even more clearly. <laughs> this isn't Jesus making a leather whip with metal hooks and shards of glass in it so that He can start shredding people, right? No, no, He's gone and He's made a whip out of reeds, out of rushes, and He's weaved it together because when Lordship comes into our life, He doesn't come to hurt. He comes to heal. He comes to restore. However, have no doubt that he, Lordship will motivate you. Amen? Uh, that, this speaks to us about conviction. This, this speaks to us about the dealings of God because that, that reed whip, although it's 
occupational health and safety Jesus in the high-vis vest and steel cap boots, you know, <laughs> gentle. But, but at the same time, He is going to change things in the house of God. He's going to address things that are out of order. He is going to put things right so that there would be, this house would be a house of prayer, that this would be a house of the presence of God that this would be a house of sacrifice and a house of worship. And, and he comes in, it's his father's house and he starts taking ownership. And that lordship is all about motivation in our life. And I can just imagine when he shows up like that, I mean, the whole crowd of people, you gotta imagine, right? They're, they must be running and shouting. I mean, the animals are scattering, right? They must be scared to death, right? There's probably nervous laughter, you know, everyone responds to these kind of things differently. I think I'm in the nervous laughter bracket, right? What is going on here today? Maybe there were shouts of anger and frustration. Maybe people were offended with what Jesus was doing in the house. Maybe people had issues with all this drama and clutter because He's come in and He is making changes in the house of God. Why? because He is the Lord of two tables. And sometimes He comes in and He makes some rearrangements to the furniture of our life. You know, the Bible describes the life of a believer as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when He comes into our life, He comes into our life as Lord and Saviour. Do, do you see that? So when Jesus comes in, you know, and, and here's the thing, this. Do you ever, I, I mean, I find I, I would say things like this as a, when I was a relatively young Christian, I'd say, you know, in 1993, I made Jesus Lord of my life. You know, and, and you know, we get what we mean by that. It means we came to faith, but, but we've got to remember something. I didn't make Him Lord. <laughs> he is, He is Lord. I just had a revelation of the Lordship and my roles fall to my knees, right? And surrender and receive Him. But have no doubt, when He comes into our life, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, He's, he's going to come in and He's gonna make some changes because He is the Lord of two tables. Yeah, He'll fill your life with joy. He'll fill your life with gladness. But, but don't forget, He's gonna transform your life. He's gonna adjust some things. He's gonna, that, that doesn't belong here now. This is, this is incompatible with your destiny and your future. This is gonna change. And He changes it and He motivates. And that, motivate looks, that motivation can have a, a little bit of a, uh-uh, a bit of a sting, a bit of an ouch sometimes but He goes there to heal, not to hurt. Amen, amen. He's the Lord of two tables. We can't just go, we can't, what would Jesus do? We can't choose our selective version of Jesus. There's only one way, we surrender to Lordship. We didn't make Him anything, we surrender to who He is. So like we live in a day and age where we like the idea of receiving Jesus as Saviour, but not sure about Lordship. Like as if Lordship is a discipleship, you know, Navy SEAL issue. You know, for the, for the real hardcore Christians, they, they, they pick up Lordship later on. No, no, He is Lord and Saviour. Oh, but I just wanna receive Him as my Saviour. Well, that's just some work. So I come around Robbie's place, imagine this. I come around Robbie's place, Robbie and Nicole's place, you know, hypothetical story. Maybe I'm going over there to see episode five of the Rings of Power on his outdoor screen, just hypothetically speaking, you know, and, and I go over and I go, I knock on the door, right? And then Robbie comes to the door and he opens the door and he sees me and he says, oh, uh, come in, Matthew, stay out, Stevenson. Now, 
now, now, now I'm confused. All I wanna do is watch Rings of Power, right? But, but now I've gotta work out which part of me is, is welcome and which part of me is not because I don't divide that way. I, I can't leave Stevenson out while Matthew, Matthew goes in. And, and it, the same is true when it comes to Lordship. We can't, we can't as the temple, our lives are temples of the Holy Spirit. We can't say, come in Saviour, stay out Lord. Come in Saviour, feel free to leave the wine on the table. You're the Lord of the wedding table. But, but these other tables here, I'm keeping them just, no, no. You know, when we receive Him, we receive Him as Lord and Saviour. He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. So when we receive Jesus, have no doubt, He will fill your table. But He'll adjust your table too. <laughs> and so we learn to surrender to His work. I came to Christ in 1993. He came in as Lord And His Lordship did both of those things in my life. And there's many people in this room, you know that's true. And over 30 years, He's been filling my table. He's been filling it with the intoxication of life, with with the wine of joy and purpose and gladness in the Gospel. He's transformed things that are weak as water. He's made them rich like wine, there's purpose. But after this, John would say, (laughs) He's also turned some tables. He's flipped some tables in my life, I have no doubt. Man, addictions, alcoholism, drug addiction, patterns of sin, unforgiveness, independence, identity issues, broken mindsets and mentalities. He's chased the bull out of my thinking, the sheep, the cattle, (laughs) the doves. He, He has the right to fill my table and he also has the right to flip some tables too, even though we wanna sit at the tables, Jesus wants to flip. But when He comes in, He comes in as Saviour and Lord. He is the Lord of two tables. And all of that is His purpose and the wonder of the Gospel. In this story, we see the wonder of the Gospel in both of these two tables. We see how beautiful and wonderful it is. He was, he was right. I mean, these are signs. The wedding table was a sign. It was all just a sign of what He came to do. <laughs> he came to fill our tables with the wine of His sacrificial blood. We celebrated communion this morning and we remembered what He came to do. At that wedding table, Jesus is thinking about His wedding table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right, I have two girls, two kids, D and I, two daughters, 19 and 17 now, but ever since they were super young, they, all, they have always just loved being at weddings. They are wedding kids. And even this year, they've been at a few already. Ella was at one last night. They love going to weddings. And one of the things ever since they were little that they've always done when they've gone to weddings is they're thinking about their wedding. They're looking at what's happening. They're looking at the, you know, the, the, the dresses. They're looking at the whole setup. They're looking at the, you know, the, 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 what are the things that come down the front? Um, those little kids, you know, what are they? Dogs, yeah, the little dogs with the ring around the, the, ring around the neck with the bell, cute little dogs, little, little cavoodles. You know, uh, you know, they think of all these things and they're thinking about, they're thinking about, about their wedding. And, and Jesus is at this wedding And when he's talking about my hour has not yet come, he's thinking about his wedding. He's thinking about what it's gonna take for that marriage supper of the Lamb to bring us in 
Now, now I'm not thinking, you know, he's a single 30-year-old guy. I'm not talking about his wedding. Like, you know, you know Peter, at my wedding, I'm going to have a three-piece suit. It's going to be seafoam green. And uh, I'm going to have the 12 disciples going to be my 12 groomsmen. I'm going to have a three-tier caramel cheesecake. And Rabbi Shamuli is going to be my DJ. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. You know, he's not thinking that. He's thinking, he's thinking, there is a marriage supper. There is a reason why I came. And, 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 and the gospel in that first table is about making a way for us to have a seat at the wedding supper of the Lamb that He, through His blood, through the wine of His blood, has made a way for us to be reconciled with God. They filled up six stone jars that were used for ceremonial washing. Can you see the the shadow of the wonder of the gospel there? Because the law, ceremonial law could never do what only His blood could do. The ceremonial law, these, these insufficient efforts in ourselves to try and deal with the dirt of our sin, the cleansing that was required. And Jesus filled it to the brim. He, he finished the work completely. He, he completely covered us through the wonder of His shed blood. Our lives are now hidden in Christ and we have a place in the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is the Lord of two tables. In that second table, we see the incredible wonder of the gospel because in that second table, those second tables in the temple, what's going on? Well, in those days, you know, you know that the, the, the people of Israel, they're scattered all over the place. And so they would come to the temple and they'd come to worship. But, but as, a, as a worshiper, you knew you couldn't get to God empty-handed. You needed something to deal with your sin. And so because they were travelling from out of town, you have to come with a sacrifice because how else do we deal with our sins so that we can come in? And so, for example, if you were travelling in from Spain or something like that, you've got to bring your sacrifice. But, you know, you don't want to put some fluffy little sheep up in the overhead locker, right? So, so they, they created a religious system so that when you travelled in, you could purchase a sacrifice so that you could be made right with God. You purchase your sacrifice to try and make you right with God. So that's the reason why this place is turned into what Jesus calls a market. In the original language, it means emporium. It's like Adelaide markets in here. There's buying and selling. Why? Why is there buying and selling? Well, because now we need our sacrifices. And, and why is there money changes? Well, because I came in from Spain and I need to go to the BC ATM and do a transfer. So I got, got this to do. So my religious works are now stacking up. I've got to go to the ATM. I've got to change my money. I've got to change this currency to that currency. Then I've got to go to the, money, uh, the, 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 um, the buyers and sellers of, of cattle and, and I've got to try and get a good deal. And, and now everyone's haggling in the house of God. They're all trying to get a, get a, get a situation dealt with. And, and you know, everyone's getting a percentage, right? You know, the money changes they're getting a percentage. They're making some money. The, the, the cattle sellers, the sheep, the doves, they're all making money. Everyone's making money. And so this is well and truly drifted from the power and presence of God that that temple was meant to be, the meeting place of heaven and earth. It was more becoming a horizontal place of religious works and practices. And no one's thinking about 
The power and wonder of God's presence here in this place, they're not reflecting on their sin. Why? Because they, they had to get in. They finally got there. They, they changed the money. They got themselves a sacrifice. They came, got the sacrifice. They handed it to the priest. The priest does the work. They shed the blood and they walk out and their hearts were never changed. Because that's dead religion. Dead religion, trying to work our way into something to such a degree where we've lost the something altogether. And Jesus comes in and He sees this. He's like, they're not ready for me. And, and, and in a sense, He's like, I'm gonna bring down every mountain. I'm gonna fill in every valley. I'm gonna make this place a place that is ready to receive the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so He changes it. He clears it and He empties that place so that there would be a restoration of Lordship because He is the Lord of two tables. Where is the sacred worship? Where is the personal reflection? Where is the heart of repentance? Where is the sense of God's holy, reverent presence? Where is Lordship? Where is grace? (laughs) So He cleared it in the house of God. Jesus, save us from dead religion. Jesus, save us from liturgy and practice. Jesus, save us from doing religious work on a horizontal level where we miss the beauty and the wonder of what you've intended for us. God, come to Jesus, the one who finally made a way for us to come in through the finished work of the cross, Christ. You're the Lord of two tables. Singers and musicians, why don't you come? Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. Turn it into a marketplace. This should be about me. This this should be a place that clearly recognises lordship, deals with sin so that it can receive grace and mercy in a time of need. When Jesus sees the wine run out, He takes action because it reminds him of his wedding, marriage supper of the Lamb. But after this, he sees the market and all these sacrificial animals and all this religious performance and he takes action. Why? Because he had one thing on his mind. He came to give his life as a substitute sacrifice of atonement. It would make us right with God once and for all. He is the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. And if Jesus comes into our life, He will fill our tables with a feast. And at other times, He might flip our tables and rearrange the furniture. Why? Well, because He is Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. This is about Lordship. And as people of faith, we learn to surrender to His Lordship in a way that leads us to freedom, life and contentment. (laughs) You know, the Gospel authors not just John, but Matthew, Mark and Luke, they have their own accounts of Jesus turning the tables in the temple. And I love how each one of them describes like these unique shifts that occur in the house of God when His work of Lordship is restored. You look at some of the things that happen after Lordship's done its work in the house of God. Firstly, the blind and lame find healing. Secondly, there is freedom in worship. (laughs) And thirdly, there's a hunger for the Word that's restored. 
Because when Lordship does its work in the house of God, miracles happen, transformation occurs. We begin to see clearly. We get a revelation of the wonder of who Jesus is. The blindfold of the enemy is removed and we see the glory and the wonder of Jesus. That the things in our life that were lame, where we just couldn't walk, where we couldn't get beyond the dysfunction of our history, we begin to learn to walk again. We begin to have a future again. We begin to, we begin to get mobility back because of His Lordship. I love the fact that worship is restored. You know, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, oh man, when, when all that work is done and the tables are turned and the peace has come back and the presence of God is there, woo, you hear the worship. You hear the worship of generations. The children cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. There is a joy coming from a younger generation that comes from revelation. They begin to cry out, Hosanna, what does that mean? Save now, save now. I know you can, Son of David, I know you can. They have a revelation beyond their years. They, they are declaring things that they shouldn't know, but it's revealed by God through the Spirit. There is an anointing on the congregation for worship, Amen. And, and, and you'd be surprised because you'd think everyone would celebrate that, but the religious Pharisees wanna shut that down. Dead religion wanna, wants to quiet the exuberance and excellence of worship. Hey, 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 just Jesus, you should silence them. Do you hear what they're singing? And Jesus quotes, He quotes from Psalm chapter eight to describe what's happening. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise that you may silence the enemy. Oh man, God has ordained praise in the childlike posture of worship. And He has ordained praise. What does that mean? Ordained, it means an ordination, it means an authority. He has given us an authority in our praise as we elevate the throne of grace and the throne of God. When we begin to declare the wonders of Jesus, it has power. It silences the enemy. It silences, anyone got the enemy screaming at them? The accuser of the brethren accusing you? You got the, this, this hounding of the enemy? Well, apparently ordained praise has a way of silencing the enemy. And it's not all based on you because it's Hosanna. God, save now, save now. I recognise your Lord over this. I recognise you have authority over this. So I lift up my praise and I lift up worship and you will silence the enemy. Anyone see the cricket last week? 120,000 Indian supporters. And in the first 10 overs of India's batting, they were smashing Australia. And you should have heard it. It was like a sound, like a jet plane. 120,000 people roaring their support and this victory that India is gonna have. But then at the minute Australia started taking wickets, I gotta tell you, it's silence. I don't wanna call India the enemy. Come on, that's not fair because that's part of my heritage. But, but you know, you know, it, it's silent. You could hear a pin drop. And I gotta tell you, there is power in our worship. There is power in our praise. You have ordained praise to silence the enemy. We, they shall overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the Word of their testimony. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God, give us confidence in our worship as we declare Your Lordship. The last thing you see is they begin to hang on every word 
that He says, that's how Luke describes it. When, when that work of Lordship happens every day, every day, there is a, an authority of the Word and they hang on every word He says. When there's a work of Lordship in our life, we begin to thirst and hunger for the Word of God in our hearts and in our life. And I pray that the Word of God would dwell in our hearts richly as people surrendered to the Lord of two tables. All over this place, let's stand to our feet. This morning, I pray for the anointing of God on the whole team, the whole church and the whole congregation. We now are going to participate in this Word and we are going to declare Hosanna and we are going to elevate a King who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And no matter what's going on in your life today, He's gonna fill tables. Today, He's gonna rearrange tables. Today, He's gonna restore vision. He's gonna help you in your walk. He's gonna, he's gonna bring worship into your heart and the Word will dwell richly. Come on, let's declare the Lordship of Jesus today. Thanks for joining us today. Find more resources and discover what's next for you at edgechurch.com.